need for this because I'm very much aware of the lack of convictions that I find in many people who call themselves Christians. They have many preferences, many fuzzy ideas of what might be the scriptures might teach. They know very few positive, definite scriptural principles. Many of them have a hard time going beyond quoting John 3.16 and they wonder why they're having spiritual problems. The Word of God says that we should be rooted and grounded in the Word of truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's when we learn to operate by biblical principles that our personal life, first of all, will be free. Then our spiritual life will be free also. Our social life will be come into order. Our family life will come into order. Our business life will come into order. Our public life will come into order. You see, some people try to put those things ahead of learning biblical principles, and you just can't do it. It's only as you know the truth. And by the way, to the Jewish mind, to know the truth did not mean have the fact here. It meant drop it 18 inches down into your heart where it became a principle in your life. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. Why? Because they found that there is a better standard. And do you know why a lot of people don't want to find out about a better standard? Because they want to feel good. I've said to you time and time again, you'll know the truth. And first of all, it'll make you miserable. <laughs> but if you'll obey it, then it'll make you what? Free. That's right. Why do you think the, the Pharisees were so upset? I mean, they were hearing truth every day. The reason they were upset is because they heard truth, but they didn't want to appropriate it. Over and over again, Jesus came to them with truth, and they tried to reason their way out of it. They tried to argue their way out of it. And that's the same thing today. There are a lot of people, you give them truth, and they say, it can't mean that, it can't be that. Don't say it can't be that. If it says that, that's exactly what it means. God said, if you do this, I'll bless you, do that, and I'll judge you. And when the children of Israel didn't do this, but they did this, and they began to be judged, they said, God, what are you doing to us? He says, wake up. I told you what would happen. Well, you can't mean that. Yes, I mean this. Poor old Jeremiah. He said, God, you called me to be your prophet, and all these other false prophets are going around saying peace and joy and prosperity, and God's going to bless us, and all the exiles are going to come back to Jerusalem, and all the gold from Babylon come back here. Jeremiah came and says, hey, fellas, not. Let me tell you the real story. God is going to tear you up. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. He's going to take all the Unexpo. Get rid of that God. They literally threw him in a well. And he's clear up to his armpits in mud. Why? Because he told the truth. Why? Many people don't want to know the truth. But I want to tell you something. There are truths in the Word of God. If we'll know them and obey them, God's promised the blessings will be ours. He said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, he said, I'll bless you in the, in the country. I'll bless you in the city. I'll make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And I've seen some people going around just quoting Philippians where it says, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They put that on the refrigerator, put it on the wall in their car, the dashboard of their car. Say, that's mine. I'm claiming it. It's got to happen. God's got to do it. No, he doesn't. Not at all. Paul said that. After he said, I have learned how to be exalted. I have learned how to be abased. And in all those circumstances, I've learned to be content. Therefore... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and my God shall supply all my need. And he said to the Philippians, because you have given out of your need to those that are in need, now therefore God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It isn't just, I can stand here and God, you have got to bless me, but it's reciprocal. As you give, you receive. As you give, you receive. And some people want this part. 
And yet if you say to them, what would you say if the stove said, if you said to the stove, give me some heat and I'll give you some wood. Stove says, not. <laughs> you give me some wood and I'll give you some heat. And the same principle is true. Give and it shall be given unto you. And a lot of people say, no, I don't want to hear that. I want to receive. God has a way of doing it. And his ways are so far above our ways and his thoughts so far above our thoughts. If we'll get into his channel and think the way God does and operate the way God does, then the blessings will flow. Biblical certainties. I was talking about convictions, not preferences, but convictions. And that's something that many people do not want to hear too much about today. Let me give you a definition again of a conviction. A conviction is the state of being convinced, a firm belief, a certainty and assurance, or the ability to make independent decisions and judgments. Once you say, I know that this is truth, and I believe this, and this is what I will act on, then it's easier for you to make other decisions. May I use the same illustration again? I never want you to walk away here from here saying you never heard this illustration. When you come to Jesus Christ, you acknowledge that he died with you on the cross, or you died with him on the cross. He was, you were buried with him in the tomb. You rose up again to walk in newness of life in him. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us, and we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We identify with him. Now, when we accepted him as Lord, we made a quality decision that he would be Lord of every area of our life. We own nothing from now on. You say, now wait a minute, I have a house, I have cars, I have... No, you don't. I do too. No, you don't. Let's talk about it in 100 years from now. You and I possess nothing. We're only stewards of what God has placed in our hands. And he said, if you're stewards, then your talents, your gifts, your possessions are all mine. Now, we start from that position. Now, Lord, everything I have is yours. My life is yours. My talents are yours. My possession, my earning power, my mental power, I give them all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You show me what to do. You tell me what to do, and that's what I'll do. Now, when that becomes a conviction in your life, if some girl walks up to one of you men during the week and says, you know, I would really like to have some time with you, you don't even have to make a decision. Why? I made Jesus Lord of my life, and he said I'm not to have anything to do with that type of lifestyle. When the opportunity comes for any of you to tell a lie or to cheat or to steal, you don't even have to make a decision because you've already made a quality decision back there. Jesus is Lord of my life. Now, when you do that, when that becomes a basic conviction in your life, it'll change every other area of your life. How do I do my business? I do it in a way that'll be pleasing to Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference what the other businessmen think of me. I do that which pleases the Lord. Now, again, not a preference. Not when it's convenient. But it has to be a conviction in your life. And let me tell you, I've had to walk that out in the past. I remember when I was so poor, I couldn't pay attention, and I was starting off in a business, and I told someone, if you do this, I'll do this. And let me tell you, Everything fell through, and I had to do this and do this and do this, and it cost me beyond anything I can imagine. But I went to them, I said, I told you I'd take care of it, and whatever it costs, I will take care of it. Why? Because I don't have to answer to them. I have to answer to God. Jesus is Lord of my life. Now, we're talking about biblical certainties and convictions. Now, let me give you the, the definition of a biblical conviction. A basic biblical scriptural principle which we determined to follow Here's the key words now, whatever the cost. Basic biblical scriptural principles which we determined to follow, whatever the cost. Now the first one was, the first biblical certainty you and I must have and understand, and let me tell you, I'm talking about the whole word of God, Genesis through Revelation. The Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. 
It is the inspired Word of God and complete, the, the complete authority for my life. We're living in a day and age when our cemeteries, seminaries are dissecting the Word of God. And some of our liberal theologians will try to tear the Word of God down to where when you walk away, you haven't got much left. Well, Moses didn't write all five books, and you know, they, then the, there's a JEDP theory in the New Testament, and then, of course, this is a, this, this epistle, you can't, there's some words in here that were written by, well, you were not sure they're written by the same, forget it. We know that the approved word of God that was scripture that we have received today have come down from the generations of past Christians who prayed, sought God's face, and were led by the Holy Spirit. This is the authorized canon of scripture. We went through all the reasons in the last few weeks as to why the word of God is a supernatural book. And if you want to hear more about it, you have to get the tapes. But the Word of God stands out from every other religious book in the world inasmuch as God has declared the past, the future, and the past. And no other book has ever done that with such, such accuracy that even the computers today just go clear out of, out of sight saying there is no possibility that these things could happen other than by supernatural happening. And it has to become your conviction that whatever this word says, if you're not lined up with it, you will line up. Now, you can play church all you want to, but when God says, I am the first and the last, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, he said it's the word that's going to judge us when we stand before him in that final day. So if you and I just have preferences, when we stand before him, you will say, well, I thought, and I, he'll say it has nothing to do with what you thought. What did my word say? You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We have to have biblical conviction, first of all, that this is the authoritative Word of God, not part of it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There isn't one thing that you will need in your lifetime that the answer isn't right here. And it's not, you don't go to other sources, you go here. And once you get this answer, then every other answer, you can line the other answers up with it. I've had people say, well, I know this verse says this, but Dr. Such-and-Such says, I, I couldn't care less what Dr. Such-and-Such says. Next generation, another doctor will come along and give another theory, and another, next generation, another doctor will come along and give another theory, and you can go all the way down through the history, and you'll find that all of them were wrong, but the Word of God is established forever in heaven. Well, that's the first conviction, and I... Don't want to stay on that forever. The second one that I want, the second biblical certainty I want you to talk about, I want to talk to you about is, as a believer, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priority. Let me say that again. The second biblical certainty that should be in every Christian's life, as a believer, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priority. Philippians, the third chapter, beginning with verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you and to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, what? No confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Quite a guy, wasn't he? 
Jesus, you couldn't lay a finger on me. I was doing it all. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things for, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ or Christ-likeness, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, the do's and don'ts, can's and can'ts, my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let me say this, this, this second conviction again. As a believer, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priorities, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. These verses give me comfort, I'll tell you. Paul says, I was just about as good as they could be until I came to Christ and realized that all my righteousness was as dung and he said, now I want to tell you something. I'm not there yet. I have not arrived. I'm not that perfect specimen yet, but I'm still pressing toward the mark. Because I have people come to me and say, Pastor, how long do you have to be a Christian before you get over these daily struggles? I say, I don't know. I've only been a Christian 43 years, 44 years. And you have to ask somebody who's been a Christian longer than me. I'm still struggling. I still haven't arrived. I'm still trying to come to the place where I ought to be, that I am everything I ought to be for Christ. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And may I just stop for a moment and tell you the, the, the word forgetting there in the Greek, the text of the Greek or the context of the Greek means completely forgetting. Completely forgetting those things which are behind. You want to know one of the greatest problems I see with many Christians today? They're going around in defeat and discouragement, constantly remembering all the horrible things that were in their past. I want to tell you something. If I did that, I would have to look up to see the bottom. When I think of my background and realize what Christ saved me out of, I mean, I could go totally defeated. Paul the Apostle said, you want Christian day, uh, victory in your daily life? You totally, completely, once and for all, put it, repent of it, put it under the blood, and forget it. Oh, yes, but this happened to me, and these people did this to me, and forget it. Forgive and bury it. It's under the blood, never to be remembered against you again. Totally forgive them to where it doesn't come to your mind again. Don't let it come back to your mind again. I want to, I'm, I'm giving you a, a remedy here. I'm giving you a, a, what is the doctor, a prescription as to how to get victory in your life if you're defeated all the time. Forget that which is past. Put it under the blood. Repent of it. Ask God for forgiveness. And forgive those, first of all, forgive those that may have offended you or done harm to you in the past. Forgive them completely and then ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to put it under the blood. Hide it behind his back. Cast it in the sea of his forgetfulness. That's where healing of memories comes in. By an act of your will. But this one thing I do, completely forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the goal. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. That word perfect 
get some people discouraged. It simply means you've been examined and found fit to run the race. You know, they, whenever they have a boxing match, before they do it, they both get on the scale to make sure that they're the right weight for that particular fight. Yeah, you're fit. No, you've got to get 10 pounds off before you fight tomorrow. Let me tell you, they, they do it. And that's what it means here. Therefore, as, uh, let us therefore as many as be examined for the race and found fit, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Again, the conviction. As a believer, I must purpose to seek God. Now, that word purpose means a free choice from your own heart. If you purpose to do something, it means it's a willful thing on your part. Now, I cannot say to my wife, you will seek God. You can't say to your husband, you will seek God. You may try it, but I'll tell you, ahead of that, it won't work. They have to purpose in their own heart to seek God. You can't tell your children, you will seek God. You can pray for them and encourage them, let them know the blessings that come from seeking God. But when they do it, then God's blessing will be theirs personally. And it, it has to be a based upon, you and I will purpose to do this based upon our understanding of our standing with God. Where do you stand with God this morning? Well, you don't know how rotten and miserable I was. That key word there is was. You and I have to realize that we are what we are and who we are because of God's supernatural creation of us. Every one of you look totally different to me. I, I've said to Pat time and time again, as we've walked into large crowds, I said, it just amazes me. Billions of people on the earth and every face different. I mean, how much room has God got to work with here? I mean, just a few square inches and everybody looks different. Oh, they look something like, but no, they're not the same. Uh, totally, you are made unique by God. Now, some of you think, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too heavy. Stop that. Now, if you have problems as far as your weight and so forth are concerned, commit that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I really want to be what you want me to be, but above everything else, I want to make sure that spiritually I'm right. How many of us are going to live over 100 years anyway? You know, I had a, a man not, uh, just last year that uh, was in a meeting place with me one time, and, and he brought me a book that he was writing. He, it was still the rough draft. He gave it to me said, study this, and if you find any problems, then let me know. And I just was so frustrated. The man had taken the verse in Genesis that said the, the lifespan of man will be 120 years. And I, that's not the exact wording. But, and, and he took off on that and said, the only reason we're not living to be 120 days is because of our lack of faith. And I'm going to believe God to be 120 years of age. And, and he wrote this whole book on the fact that people were failing to live 120 years. And I went back and I just wrote a little note and I said, dear brother, God said that the time of man would be 120 years because 120 years from that date is when the flood came. God gave another 120 years to man before the judgment came. And here he made this whole theology all the way through that you and I were lacking in faith if we couldn't live to be 120 years. But he was going to live 120 years. And at the time, he was already taking some medical treatments when he was doing this. But what I'm trying to show you is if you and I will stop looking at what we are in the natural, in the physical, and realize that if we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if we have repented of our sins and asked Christ to become Lord of our life, we become a brand new person. Now you say, well, I didn't lose any weight. I didn't get any taller. I didn't get any shorter. God's not interested in that. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks where? On the heart. So first of all, if we've been redeemed through repentance and faith, 
Then the Word of God says that He takes all our sins, all our unrighteousnesses, and places them on Jesus Christ. He bore all our sins for us. He says that we take the righteousness of Jesus, he takes our sins and he clothes us in his righteousness. Now, if you and I are going around trying to dress up and put on a better suit and a better tie and a better dress or whatever it is so that we'll impress God when we come to church on Sunday morning, forget it. We should do that just out of the fact that we want to let people know that this is an important event in our life. Some people will go off to a banquet and put on a tuxedo to go to a banquet and they'll come in rags to church. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, God's looking at the heart, but still, the place of of reverence for the fact we're going into the presence of the Lord. When God said the priest in the Old Testament, if you don't go in regular garments, you go in regular garments, I'll kill you. He put on special garments on them. Because they were there representing Jesus Christ. But you have to realize that the real difference in you has nothing to do with the outside. It has to do with the inside. You have been redeemed and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, that means that you have been justified. What does justified mean? God makes an excuse for you? No means that Jesus Christ paid the total penalty for all your sins. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to do anything in, in addition to it. It's been totally paid. And when you stand before God in prayer and say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, it's as though the Lord puts his hand on your shoulder and says, Father, I want you to listen to him. He's mine, and I've paid his price totally. He is standing in, in my righteousness here before you. What? The, right, the prayer of a righteous man, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You say, I'm not righteous. No, you're not righteous in yourself, but when you ask for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are supernaturally cleansed and made righteous. Paul the Apostle wrote to the Corinthian church and talked to them about saints, and they weren't saintly. He wasn't talking about their, their decorum. He was talking about their position in Christ. Paul the Apostle says, Now we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers. You say, Brother Webb, I feel like I'm clear down in the sewer. You've got your eyes in the wrong direction. Get your eyes off of what you think you are and see what God says you are when you repent of your sins and trust Christ. Now, until you can do this, until you and I can do this by faith, we will, God will never be able to do anything more with us. If we go around groveling and crawling on the ground, I'm so unworthy, I'm so filthy, I'm... You're calling God a liar. I'm sorry. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from A-L-L, all unrighteousness. If he saves us and forgives us of all unrighteousness, how much unrighteousness is left? Well, you don't know what I did this past week. Ask God for forgiveness. Tell him you don't want that in your life. Say, Lord, I want that out of my life. I repent of it. I turn from it. And by your grace, it's not going to be in my life. I'm going to overcome it. Why? Because now we have a new resource for strength in our life. The Spirit of God comes in and causes us to be created and transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. We call it sanctification. What does that mean? Do we get more of God? No. It means God gets more of us. The Lord begins to, you, you know, it's, it's like someone told me years ago, I never got it. They said, you are a temple, and the Lord wants to come in and live in your temple. And so he'll come in, and you open the front door, and he walks into the vestibule. And he notices that all the living room and the bedroom on the left are open. The doors are open. But here in the dining room, it's locked. He doesn't go into the bedroom, and he doesn't go into the living room. He goes over and knocks on the bedroom, on the, the dining room door. And you say, Lord, here's the bedroom and here's the living room. Can't we? No, he's the one going here. Well, that door's locked. 
He says, yes, I want you to open. Now, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. I want in that room. What's wrong with the living room and what's wrong with the bedroom? I want to go in the dining room. Okay, so you open the dining room door. And he walks in, you think, oh, here he goes. And he walks over, and he notices there's a bunch of cabinets there, and one of them has a lock on it. And he goes over, and he starts pulling the cabinets. You say, Lord, all the rest of the cabinet doors have no lock, just that one. He says, I want in this one. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. You say, we come and say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life without reservation. He says, we'll see. Unlock that cabinet. Lord, I've just got a few things in there I, I, I just really like to keep. Unlock that cabinet. Lord, that, that's my... No, no, it's not yours. You see, you said I was Lord. You have to purpose in your heart. Purpose in your heart willingly that everything and all my life is committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That little closet, maybe it's a habit there. Maybe it's just a little bit of anger or resentment. Jesus said, that's got to go. I can't live here. That's got to go. And we have to purpose in our heart that it will go and Jesus will stay. Now, we're redeemed by the blood. Then we're justified where we can come and say, Father, I don't come in my own righteousness. I come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then we're empowered. When we say, Lord, here's an area of my life where I've been defeated. I cannot do this. I have to submit to the authority of your, your authority and say, Holy Spirit, please do a work in my heart. Sanctify, cleanse that area. I give you permission to get that out of my life. That is defeating my Christian walk. That's keeping me from being what I ought to be. I don't have the joy of the Lord. I want to read the Word of God, but I just, I've got so many other things to keep me so busy. And God says, that's not a priority in your life. The Word of God has to be a priority in your life. God, I want to spend time with you in prayer, but you know, I'm just going to... He says, those things, let the dead bury their dead, but go down and preach the kingdom of God. Get involved with me first. You say, well, now, where do you find that? It says very clearly, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other so-called important things will be added unto you. You see, the problem is we get the cart before the horse. God, I want to do this. Will you come along and bless it? And God says, no, you do what I want you to do. Then the blessings will come. I don't go along with you and bless what you're doing. You're supposed to come along with me. And as you're coming along with me, the blessings will run you down. Great difference from chasing blessings and getting run down by blessings. And that's what happens. We're deemed justified. And then... Progressive sanctification is when Jesus is going through the house saying, I want you in this closet. Oh, by the way, I'd like to get down in the basement. Oh, God, oh, please, no, not down in the basement. No, not down in the basement. I want to get down in the basement. And you know, some people will say no, and the Lord will just wait and wait and wait. I said this morning in Sunday school class, I've known some Christians that had a spiritual problem 10, 12, 15 years ago, and I meet them now today and talk to them a few minutes, same problem. They've never let Jesus down in the basement. I want to tell you something. He is either going to be Lord of all or not Lord at all. And there's nothing more miserable on the face of the earth than a backslidden Christian who's not willing to purpose in their heart and make it a conviction, make it a conviction that they are going to do God's will for their life. They're going to obey Him at any cost. See, it has nothing to do with a pastor. Some people say, you know what, I feel a little at ease around a pastor, and I keep telling them why. I'm just in sales, not management. You're with God. He's in, you're in his presence every single moment. I just happen to be one of his representatives. And the important thing is that you fear him much more than you fear me. If you fear him, you don't fear me. It's the most interesting thing, and I've worked around young people ever since I first went to ministry. Whenever they're right with God, man, they come up, Hi, Pastor Gil, how are you? Give me a hug and everything. And then when they're not right with God, you go clear around me. Or, Hi, how are you doing? I, I know exactly what's going on. Why? I represent something to them. 
But you know what the whole purpose is? Once Christ comes into your life, you're redeemed through his blood, and you are justified by the re receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then the Holy Spirit begins to do the work of sanctification in your life, where he'll come along and say, I, I, want, it, I want this to go. <sighs> Will you release it to me? Will you release it? You know that this isn't pleasing to me. Will you do it? He says, you have to purpose to do that. You want victory in your life? Purpose to do that. Why? Because you made a decision back there that everything you have belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, do you mean it? Now, I close with this illustration. God came to Abraham and, had, and, and offered a sacrifice. Put Abraham, just kind of put him to sleep. And then he made a sacrifice. He split this big oxen in half and he went back and forth between the... And made an offering and they had a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. God says, everything I have, Abraham, I bless you with. Now, a lot of people don't understand that that covenant, when it was made, the only way that it can be enforced is where both people say, everything I have belongs to you. God did it for Abraham. But God said, before this can really go into force, I want to check something. Abraham? Yes, sir? I want you to take your son, your only son, tomorrow morning, and take him up on the mountain, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Yes, sir. And it says the next morning he got up earlier than he ever got up any other morning, loaded the donkey, and up the mountain he went with his son. And when he got up there, he raised the knife to do the job, and God said, whoa, don't have to do that, Abraham. I just wanted you to be proving to me that you meant it. Now the covenant is in effect. Now see, Jesus died for you. He paid his part of the covenant. He says, now, how are you going to show me that you're a part of the covenant with me? I've given everything for you. Are you willing to give everything for me? The interesting thing is God won't make you do it. He'll give you the opportunity. He didn't make Abraham go up the mountain. He said, do it. Abraham said, yes, sir. And the word of God says that Christ took the curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know, but back in Genesis it said God blessed Abraham in all things. Why? Because he proved that he meant business with God when God said, I've given everything to you, now will you give everything back to me? And when you and I purposed to seek God and to set our goals according to his priorities, and that becomes a conviction with us, we're going to see things happen in our lives like we've never seen before. It's all based upon the first conviction that the Word of God is a supernatural book unlike any other, and it's the inspired Word of God and complete, the complete authority for my life. So when you hear a truth come from the Word of God, like one man said one time, when God, we see something in God's Word, we should say, yes, sir, what is it you want me to do? Not what would you have me to do. Why do you want me to do that? I can't believe you asked me this. Yes, sir, whatever you want me to do, what is it? Obedience before we even know what he wants us to do. In other words, we're committed to this fact. Whatever God wants me to do, it's settled. I'll do it. Now again, this cannot be a preference. It must be a conviction or you'll be in total confusion the rest of your life. You must plant your feet somewhere and say from this day onward, I purpose to seek God and his priorities in my life. And when I find out what they are, that's where I'll be. You say, yeah, but what if I mess up? Then you go right back to 1 John 1, my God, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? Thank you for forgiving me. By your grace, I go right back to that same conviction. I will seek your priorities, and I will obey them. 
But what if I mess up again? Father, I come right back to 1 John 1. I confess my sin to you. Thank God. Jesus told the disciples, you you forgive 70 times 7 a day. And if that's how many times you and I are to forgive when somebody asks us for forgiveness, how many times do you suppose God will forgive us? Well, he can't forgive me. I'm just so lousy. That's false pride. And it's calling God a liar. He said, my blood is sufficient for any sin that will confess it and repent of it. Now, bury it. Put it in the past. Forgive and forget and go on. And set God's priorities as yours. I could keep on going here. I just got started this morning, but uh, uh, I'm excited. I, I really believe that when God finds people who have convictions, that he can change the world. And you don't have to despise small beginnings. When you get a group that have deep convictions concerning the power of God and the word of God in their lives, he can change the world. Now, Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And you said we're to have priorities in our life because you, first of all, redeemed us. You've justified us, and now you're sanctifying us. And I pray that based upon the fact that we said Jesus is Lord of our life and he, he is in complete control of our lives, Without reservation, all our possessions, all our talents, all our gifts, all of our time, he's in charge of it all. I pray right now in Jesus' name that we'll begin to have a new outlook on life and realize we are a new creature in Christ. Old things have been cast away. Behold, all things have become new. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let it become a reality in our lives, I pray, Father, this morning. That it won't be a preference, but it'll be an absolute conviction. Chapter 3, we've been talking about biblical certainties, and these are all on tape. It's going to be a series, and I've got a feeling it's going to be a long series on biblical certainties. The first certainty was what? The Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired Word of God and the complete authority for my life. That must become a conviction, a biblical certainty in your life. If the Word of God is not all that it says it is, then we need to throw it away and forget it. It's everything God says it is. Every word, every jot, every tittle is inspired. You have to understand and believe that there's not another book on earth equivalent to the Word of God, the Bible. Now, I know you go to the universities and some of your liberal seminaries today, and they'll try to tell you differently. There's not another book on earth that that can declare what the Word of God declares because it always declares the future as well as the present and the past. So when you begin to talk about prophecy, no other religious book on the face of the earth ever attempted to prophesy the future. As I told you, there are 333 prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ with 456 specific details. And we went into the, the probabilities of that and the incredible probabilities out of, out of sight. No possible way that it could be done other than the fact that it's a supernatural book. I won't get into a lot of detail on that this morning. You can listen to the tapes, but I want you to understand this is what young people need to understand when they go away to the colleges and they start bombarding the Word of God. When we lose Genesis, the beginnings, when we lose the foundation of the fact that man was created in the likeness of God, God created Adam and Eve in his own likeness, when we get rid of all the other basics to where we start believing in evolution, when we start believing in all the... uh, uh, humanism and so forth, we lose the foundation upon which we're building, we, we can build our faith. Consequently, it's important for you to understand and know and study and find out for yourself that the Word of God is a supernatural book unlike any other. 
regardless of what they'll try to tell you in your high school and seminar and your uh, colleges, telling you it's just another religious book. That is a lie, and there's many reasons why we say it's a lie, and we've gone through that. Now, the second one is, as a believer, I must purpose to seek God and set my goals according to his priority. We must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priority. When we come to Jesus Christ, the word of God says we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. If we're not our own, and if you are a, a professing Christian this morning, I hope you understand what that really implies. It implies that you have totally died to yourself, your past, your present, your future, and you have become alive unto God, and you have given your life and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he now lives in your life, and you have one goal and purpose in life, and that is to seek God's face and to find out what his purpose is for your life. Why did he put you here? You are made so uniquely from any other person. You're totally different from any other person. And God has created you to fit into that pattern that he has, that program that he has, that eternal program he has, to be able to reach and contact and affect and influence other people for Jesus Christ. Now, if you, you and I do not seek God's face and seek God's will, we'll miss it. And what a disaster that is. We said that purpose means a free choice from the heart. You must purpose to do this. You must have a free choice. No one can make you do it. Now listen to mom. Listen to me for a moment, parents. You can't make your children seek God, but you can make them want to. You can constantly let them see it in your own life. You can offer them materials that will entice them, that will give them an appetite for those things. I can remember, and I've said it before, how when our children were very small, we would give them literature, we'd give them puzzles, we'd give them materials to always have in their hands. We made sure that nothing was allowed to come into our home that would defame the name of Jesus Christ that would be uh, some other idol or some other thing that they would look to and, and, and uh, chase after. Never would you have come into our children's rooms and found pictures of, of people who do not represent the lifestyle of a born-again Christian. Never would you come into our home and find music and uh, books that did not represent or glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But we always fed them things that would cause them from within to want to seek God and know his purpose for their life. To where it becomes a free choice from the heart. You see, I've seen a lot of parents that try to force rules into children. That's not the way to do it. Get the truth of God's word into their heart, and then it begins to come out from the inside. Total difference. Now, when we begin to seek God and his purpose in our life, it will only, we'll only do it to the extent, I said last week, to the extent that we understand what our standing really is with God. Some people have a very poor perception of who they are and what they are. But if you and I have been redeemed, the scripture says that we're a peculiar people, a royal generation, that God has called us and chosen us uniquely in this world to glorify him, and he created us just the way we are for his honor and glory. Some people look at themselves and say, I don't like the way I look. Don't criticize God like that. Now, if you're not being disciplined, that's another thing. Discipline yourself. Try to take care of yourself. But as God made you, your personality, your gifts, your talents, he gave those to you to be used specifically and uniquely for his glory. Until you understand that, it's going to be difficult for you to begin to seek God's purpose for your life. Once you begin to say, God created me just the way I am, the motivational gifts that I have, the manifestation gifts that I have in my life, these things, this personality that I experience every day, God wants to sanctify that and use it for his glory. Lord, what, how do you want to use me? 
Now, let me assure you, when I became a new Christian back in Nebraska back in 1951, I had no idea that God would use me in any way. Here, a little far, a kid from a farming community had no idea what, I didn't even know what a motivational gift or a manifestation gift or a ministry gift or any of those things were. All I knew is that Jesus changed my life. And I began to give, to say, Lord, I, I give everything to you. I just want you to be in total charge of my life. I had no idea what that would entail. And I remember when I used to go to that Alliance Church in Fremont, the pastor would get down with me and some of the men would get down with me and pray with me every morning, every Sunday uh, morning and every Wednesday night. So they knew I came out of an unsaved background. But I began to hear them talk about, find out what God's will for your life is. And I thought, you mean God's got something for me to do? I thought maybe I should just continue to work in the flour mill. Find out what God wants you to do. And I began to seek God's face. And before long, I said, Lord, please lead me, guide me, direct me. Please show me, Lord, I really want your purpose in my life. And I thought maybe it'd be a better job with a better salary. I didn't know. And all of a sudden, it just happened to be that the St. Paul Choral Club came to Lincoln, Nebraska, and I had never heard them. And they, some of the folks at church said, you've got to go and hear the St. Paul Choral Club. And I thought, okay. And so I worked it out so I could go, and I went down there. And that night when I sat there, the Spirit of God just said to me, that's where I want you to be. I thought, why me? And then I said, Lord, it can't be me. I mean, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't even like to study. You know, I hated studies when I was in school. And I still do. Lord, you know, I don't want to study. I mean, I used to go and see my pastor's library, and I'd look at it, and I said, oh, yuck. All the books on the wall said, you read those things? But you see, God had a different purpose, one that I wasn't even interested in. But I had to seek his will, not mine. And I said, okay, God, if, if this is you, I think, I hope it isn't, but if this is you, then you're going to have to show me that this is you. So I said, Lord, I know what? Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll keep on working, but I won't have enough money to get to school. There's going to be this much more I'm going to have to have before I go to school, so you'll have to work that out. And I just left it with him. Now, what was I doing? Lord, I'm not really willing, but I, I know that's what you want me to do, so I'm willing to do it, if, but you have to prove it that you. So you work it out. And I had it written down, and that's not too usual. And I wrote down exactly how much more money I was going to have just to pay off everything and be ready to go to school. Not next week. The next day I went to work working at the flour mill, loading boxcars. And when I got ready to get off, they pulled in two more boxcars, and I looked in them, and I said, oh, boy, Walt, I said, the walls are full of soybean meal. You're going to have to have somebody clean that up. He said, oh, I'll have to get out. I said, I'll tell you what, if you let me clean them out, I'll do it on my time. How'll that be? He's great. Go ahead. I cleaned it out, took all the soybean meal, put it in the back of my car, drove down to the other, to the feed mill, and sold it. And how much do you suppose there was? The exact amount plus the tithe that I told the Lord I needed to be able to go to Bible school. I, I thought, why? Don't tell me this. And then I thought, well, Lord, now I've got all my bills paid off. Now the car's paid off. Now I can go to Bible school, but I need money to go to school. And he impressed on my heart I was going to have to sell my car. I was, oh, no, not sell my car. And I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to sell my car, you'll have to sell it. I wasn't really willing, but I was seeking his will and his purpose. And I didn't say a word to anyone. But we were only just a couple of weeks away from going to Bible school, and I didn't have any money to go to Bible school. I could pay off my car, pay off all my bills, and be ready to go somewhere. And, and a young man walked up to me in my church. In fact, I just met him. He's moved down here to uh, Bradenton, Florida now. He walked up and he said, you want to sell your car before you go to school, Joe? I said, well, uh, yeah. He said, how much are you going to want for it? I said, well, and I told him, he said, don't tell my dad that. I think he's willing to pay you more than that. I said, Lord... I said, yeah, now I'm going to have to sell my car, but now how am I going to get to Omaha? My family didn't even have a car. And I came back and he said, uh, I, I said, how you soon you want the car? He said, well, I'll tell you what, my dad and I are talking about, why don't we meet you in Omaha 
at the train depot and you can get on the train and we'll take your car there. And God packed my suitcases. Why? Because I was seeking God's purpose and will for my life. Until I began to understand that I could not declare what I wanted to do anymore. I said, Lord, it isn't what I want. It's what you want. And Lord, I can't imagine you want me to go to Bible school and be a study for future ministry. And it wasn't until my fourth year in school that God finally just confirmed it to me that he wanted me to preach the gospel. Till that time, I thought I'd go out and testify and witness and do all those good things and sing for the Lord and everything. But I didn't have that understanding. But when it came, I said, Lord... Unless you go with me, before me, behind me, over me, under me, around me, and through me, I know I can't do it. I know I can't make it, Lord. And he gave me that promise that he would do that very thing. And I said, Lord, I'll just try anything. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But you see, when we become a Christian, we have to say, Lord, it's not what I want to do. It's what you want me to do. A.B. Simpson said it very well when he says, once it was the blessing, now it's the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it's his word. Once the gift I wanted, now the giver owns. Once it was the feeling, now himself alone. All in all, forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus and Jesus, everything. First of all, the Word of God must be the Word of God. Secondly, we must purpose in our heart to seek God and to set our goals according to his priorities. We have to know that we've been redeemed, we've been justified, we have been sanctified in the Lord. And Scripture says that you... You know, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Now, why did the Lord save us? Why did he redeem us? When God was speaking in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the third chapter, he said concerning the children of Israel, he was going to bring them out of Israel, that he might leave them wandering in the wilderness? No. He's going to bring you out of the wilderness to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. When God first drew them, before he ever drew them out of, the, out of the land of Egypt, he already had a place for them to be. He already had a land prepared for them. And I want to tell you this morning, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, he didn't save you just because you're such a wonderful person. He saved you because he has a purpose and a goal and a place for your life. And it's mandatory upon us that we seek God's face and find out his will for our life. He brought you out of the world, not just to sit here and jump up and down and rejoice, but to find something to put your hands to, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Romans 12. Very familiar portion of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you're a professing Christian this morning, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. In the form of a plea. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... Due to the mercies of God or by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. It does not say God's going to jerk it away from you. It does not say he's going to confiscate you. It says by the mercies of God you present. That implies a gift on our part. Jesus Christ paid the total price for us. We talked about this last week. The fact that when Jesus Christ died, we inherited eternal life through him. Everybody, whosoever would believe, would receive eternal life. But he had to die for us to receive an inheritance. And if you and I are believers this morning, you and I have to come to the place where we're willing to die to our aspirations, our ambitions, our goals, in order that Jesus Christ might have an inheritance in us. It's just that simple. He cannot have an inheritance in you and me until we die to our own ambitions and goals. It's totally impossible. Lord, I'd just as soon stay right here at home because if I, if I quit this job, my dad's going to be very upset. But Lord, that doesn't make any difference. Lord, what would you have me to do? 
Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's a bitter cup, and I, I don't look forward to it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that as a, as a free offering to the Lord, you, you give, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, what does it mean to present your body a gift? It means quit letting your body dictate to you what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. A living sacrifice to Jesus Christ is you no longer respond to the appetites and the desires of the flesh. You crucify that. You reckon that dead indeed unto sin and let Jesus Christ come in and by the power of the Holy Spirit begin to change your life. Now, I, this isn't in my notes, but I'll tell you, he had to do an awful lot of that and still is today, but had to do an awful lot of that in my life because of the background I came out of. I've told you before that I came out of a neighborhood where we were meaner than junkyard dogs. We saw our friend, my friends go to reform school in prison. We saw people constantly getting injured because of uh, fights, gang fights, and all the rest of it. And when I became a Christian, I had done all those things that you're not supposed to do. And the Lord had to renew my mind. You present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And what does the next verse say? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. There has to be a radical change take place in your life. You and I can't change ourselves, but God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can change us if we're willing to give our, present our bodies a living sacrifice to Him. So whatsoever we do in word or deed, we do to the glory of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like another translation. I think it's the Young's translation. It says, And be a totally new and different kind of person in all that you do and say that you may prove that that which is of God is good and perfect and acceptable. James said, or 1 Peter said it another way. When people criticize you, live in such a way that they become ashamed of themselves because of what they say about you because others know it's not true. How do you do that? presenting your body a living sacrifice. Now that's called sanctification. It's progressive sanctification where you give up your life totally. And let me tell you something. Unless this becomes a conviction in your life, you'll never go anywhere with God. You'll never get any further with God. Your home will never be what it ought to be for God. Until you as a father or a mother say, this home is dedicated to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I couldn't care less what my children think about this standard, but this is the standard we're going to hold regardless as long as they've got their feet under my table and their bodies in our bed, they will do what we tell them to do in this home. You have to become sanctified father and mother. By the way, children, don't tell me you're, you, you've been born again of the Spirit of God if you have not begun to realize what the Word of God says. Children, obey your parents. Children, honor your father and your mother. I didn't say it. The Word of God says it. And if we're going to commit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it means rebellion has to go. It means Struggling against authority has to go. God himself has established authority. You see, this is what a lot of husbands and fathers do not realize, that when Jesus Christ established the church, he established authority in the church. Then, he, first of all, he established the, the authority in the family. I've had fathers say to me, well, I guess I'm going to have to take authority. I said, no, 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 don't take authority. Recognize that God says you are authority. If a policeman stands on a street corner and sees a crime take place, he said, well, I'm not going to get involved right now. And the others find out that he didn't. They'll come and they'll get, get rid of him. They say, you were the authority there. Why didn't you do something? He said, well, I've given that to my wife. Won't work. Won't work. The buck stops here. 
God says, the buck stops here. Now, wait a minute, don't the rest of you say amen? Because then the next thing is, the wife must recognize that authority and come into a, under authority of the husband. Oh man, I'm not going to do it. Wait a minute now, the word doesn't say if you feel like it, or regardless of his conduct, it says if you're a Christian, you will, wives will submit to the husband. That does not mean he's the greater and you're the lesser. It means that the military term means I will come under, he's the, God says he's the, the general, I'll be the colonel. But he is still the final word of authority in the home. Now, you see, again, it, what we have to do is seek God and find his priorities. Seek his priorities in our life. If he says the husband is being the head of the home and I say no, that's rebellion. Now, there's nothing so bad. You see, turn right around now. Husband, the Bible says, love your wives as you love your own body. As Christ gave himself for the church, love your wife. Now, can I step on toes again this morning and tell you, if you're setting your priorities according to God's priorities, if you don't love and cherish and hold in high esteem before everyone, your wife, your prayers are going to be cut off and God's not going to listen to you because he said so in his word. He says to hold them in high esteem. Now, if you do not correct your children, God's going to correct you. He's going to deal with you. And when you deal with your children, you have the right to correct your children. You have the authority. I know what the HRS says. God will have to deal with the HRS but God's going to hold you responsible for that. Now, how does that work? First of all, they must learn spiritual authority if you're going to have God's priorities in your life. What does that mean? It means that if you're a husband and a wife in a home and your children ever say anything that's degrading or insulting or embarrassing or harsh toward your wife, they immediately deal with you. My children could tell you that they could never raise their voice to my wife. You will not do that to my sweetheart. She was here before you were here. She'll be here after you're gone. But you will not do that. Why? Because I'm to hold her in high esteem. Now, when you do that, you will establish security on the part of your children. You will cause them to begin to recognize levels of authority. I have to correct you or God's going to correct me. So that when you leave home and your children are there with a the wife, they're not dealing with the wife. They're not dealing with the mother. They're dealing with you. She speaks for you. You speak for God, don't you? in the home hello you with me you speak for God she speaks for you and when it's all said and done when the children begin to submit you can't make them submit oh you might till the 15 or 16 but you can't after that unless it's in their heart you've got to get it into the heart and the only way to do that is constantly hold up the God's priorities for your life and your children and it has to be a purpose, purposeful response a purposeful, a free choice from your heart. Father, I am a husband of this home. I am the head of this home. And by an act of my will, I choose to take the responsibility this month. Heavenly Father, I am the wife of this home and I purposefully choose to submit myself to the authority of my husband and I will do what's necessary to cause our family to function the way you would have it to function. Father, Heavenly Father, as a child in this home, regardless of my parents' conduct, I want to obey them because they are spiritual authority. Now, if they don't, you see in the Old Testament, God says, if you do this, these are the blessings. If you do this, here are the curses. I want to tell you something. The same thing is true in your home. If you do not obey God's principles, it will disintegrate. If you'll obey God's principles, it will be established solidly. And you apply the same principle to your children. If you'll obey, these are the blessings. If you disobey, these are the blessings. The curses, I should say. And just as sure as night follows day, if you don't do this, there will come punishment over here. 
Now, I'm just simply establishing to you how you establish biblical principles in your home. You say, well, I just don't, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, get comfortable. Because that's what the Word of God says. If you want God's blessing on your life, do what the Word of God says. Historians tell us Daniel was about 12 to 15 years of age when uh, Judah was taken off into captivity by the Babylonians because of their disobedience. Now, there's a case where God said, if you'll obey, I'll bless you, and you'll stay in the land, and you'll have all these wonderful things. If you disobey, you're going to go out of the land into captivity and exile. And they went out, and then they would repent and come back in, and God would bless them, prosper them, and they'd forget him and down. Just a cycle all the way through the Old Testament. And they were in exile in Babylon, in captivity, and the king went out and selected some of the finest young men from the nation of Israel to make them to be his servants and to work with him. And uh, uh, he said, now I want you to, uh, said to the man in charge of them, he said, I want you to feed them my best food and my best wine and I, uh, from the king's table. Nothing but the finest food. And Daniel knew that the meat back then was, that the Babylonians prepared was not kosher meat. They had to be cut in a special way to drain all the blood out of the meat. And even though it was fine meat, probably prime, some of us would just drool over it if we saw it. Daniel knew that that would defile him as a Hebrew to eat non-koshered meat. And Daniel 1.8, will you look at that with me? It's a very important verse. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel what? Purposed in his heart. A free choice from his own heart. Purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Now, you think, well, that's a big deal. Let me tell you something. When you would disobey the king's order back in that day, you could be beheaded instantly. Your life could be taken that quickly. But just like the three Hebrew children, when they would not bow down, they said, whether God delivers us from the furnace of fire or not, it doesn't make any difference. We still won't bow down. Daniel said, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And in doing so, he, he literally laid his life on the line before that man. And by the way, it was a quality decision. He just purposed that's the way it's going to be, regardless of what the outcome is. You know, that's the way it's got to be. I've heard some people say, well, yes, I've been reading that about tithing, and I'll, well, I'll try it. That's not a, that's not a quality decision. Whatever it is, tithing or, or uh, functioning in the home or in your job, whatever it is, once you find out what God's Word says, that should settle it. That's over with. Don't have to make a decision on that anymore. Find out what God's Word says in that, regardless of the cost. That's what I'll do. When he had presented that and appealed to the chief of the eunuchs, man agreed to him and he said he could have pulse and water if that's what he wanted. He said, what in the world is that? Well, I read and said that the pulse that they ate was peas and beans and lentils. He had basically a vegetable diet with water. And the end result was in verse 17 of that same chapter. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Are you convinced this morning that you ought to seek God and God's purpose for your life? I want to tell you something. Until you and I do that on a regular basis, there's always going to be difficulties. The disobedient are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to those who are wicked or disobedient. But he said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It must become a conviction based upon the fact that the Word of God is the Word of God that you and I need to seek God's purpose for our life and His goals for our life. And once we find them out, cause that to become a conviction in our life. If the Word of God says it, that's good enough for me. I've heard some, some people say, God said it, I believe it, and that settled it. No, 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 no. 
God said it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not, that's it. And uh, you know something? It does settle it whether we like it or not. There have been things in my past as a Christian I knew were in the Word of God that uh, I just chafed under it. And I finally had to come to say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender that area to you right now. And that's what God wants us to do, to come to the place where we're willing to surrender all our purposes and goals in life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to stop there this morning. And then tonight, I'll continue on concerning this truth in God's Word, seeking God's purpose for our life as a living conviction. Would you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God that is true. I thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And I realize that the enemy has victory over us wherever we walk in darkness. You said the entrance of your word gives light. I pray this morning that biblical standards, biblical principles will enlighten our hearts to be able to walk in the light as you're in the light that we can have fellowship one with another and know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse us from all sin. I'm so thankful, Father, that you're talking to young people as well as adults today and saying to them it doesn't make any difference what the next person does. I'm talking to you. Father, I remember when Peter came to Jesus there before he was crucified and Jesus told him what he would be doing when he was an old man and he turned and said, Lord, what about John? And he said, what's that to you? You follow me. Father, I believe this morning the Spirit of God is speaking to each individual person and it has nothing to do with how others treat us or how others respond or how others fail. The question is, what will I do with Jesus? Neutral, I cannot be. One day my heart will be asking what he's going to do with me. Father, how I pray this morning that you'll burn this truth into our hearts that more than anything else we'll look forward to hearing you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You sought my purpose. You sought my goal in life. Consequently, enter thou in the blessings and the rest that's provided for you. I wonder if they're in this morning by the upraised hand and say, Pastor, God's shown the areas of my life this morning that I realize I've got to seek his purpose and I've got to find out his standards and principles to obey. I want my life to be what God wants it to be and not what I'm making of it. And as an act of my will this morning, I choose, I choose God's way. Pray for me that I'll have that wisdom and understanding to know how to walk in God's way. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray with you? Just put it up and put it down. God, yes, I see those hands. Yes, God bless you. Others, I want God's will and God's way in my life above everything else. Anyone else? Young people? It's wonderful to get excited, but it's more important to get serious. I want Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. I want Him to have control of every area of my life this morning. And there's some areas I haven't given to Him this morning, but I choose by an act of my will this morning that He will have His way in my life. And I'm going to raise my hand to that effect this morning. Pray with you. Yes. God bless you. Others? Yes. Anyone else this morning? God's speaking to young people too. Father, I thank you this morning for these that have raised their hands Thank you for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts. I ask in Jesus' name that the Spirit of God will come in right now and that they will reckon themselves dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God and to take that area of their life right now and say, I renounce that in Jesus' name. I'll not have my way in that. I yield to the will of God in that matter. 
then Father, I pray that you'll help them to begin to search the Scriptures concerning that very area that you've spoken to them about this morning and find out what you say about it and what the answer is. Because we know that when we seek your way, you bless us. You said if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be filled. You said if we draw nigh to you, you will draw nigh to us. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will be filled. I pray this morning that they'll begin to experience that. First of all, Lord, we repent of the areas of disobedience in Jesus' name. We ask for forgiveness for the areas that we've allowed to remain in darkness and ignorance and ask that you would open our eyes to see and understand and be able to walk in obedience to your principles. We bless you and praise you, our Father, this morning for all you've done for us. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. We're talking about biblical certainties and the first conviction, important conviction. We talked about convictions. It means something that does not change regardless of the circumstances. The first one is the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired word of God and the complete authority for my life. That can't only be true when it's a convenient or advantageous for us or profitable for us. It means regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the conditions, that becomes a conviction in our heart. That whatever the word of God says, that's it. That's what I will do. That's the way I will go. And I want to tell you something. Until that becomes a deep personal conviction in your life, you will never do anything worthwhile for God. Because God only honors one thing, and that's His Word. He'll not honor our own efforts, our earthly, fleshly efforts, personal, selfish health efforts. We can do all we want to do, but it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy, He works in our lives. And Jesus said, without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. And as we use the Word of God, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is the weapon of our warfare that we can use to pull down all the strongholds of the enemy to defeat all the, the uh, hosts of, of hell that would come against us, and then to stand and know if God's Word says this, I can believe this, and I don't have to move. God says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It can't prevail against me because I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and if that's what the Word says, that's exactly what I believe, regardless of the circumstances. It has to become a conviction in our lives. And nothing else will do it. The second one is, as a believer... Because I know the Word of God is a supernatural book, as a believer, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to His priorities. I must seek God and set my goals according to His priorities. Ephesians, the third chapter, and I'm going to read to you tonight instead of the King James, I'm going to read to you out of the Living Bible. The first 15 verses there. Whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this and it is good for you to hear it again and again and again. Someone would say, well, Paul the Apostle keeps repeating the same message over and over again. Yes, he does. He said, I'm going to keep doing it until you get it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice and be glad in the Lord. Watch, for those, watch out for those wicked men, dangerous dogs, I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For it isn't the cutting off of our bodies that makes us children of God. It is worshiping Him with our spirits. That's the only true circumcision. We Christians glory in what Christ Jesus has done for us and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. Yet if anyone ever had reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could, for I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony when I was eight days old, 
having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the old, original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew if ever there was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom. And sincere? Yes, so much so that I greatly persecuted the church and I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. But all of these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with Him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now I've given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought Him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with Him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. I don't mean to say I'm perfect. I haven't learned all that I should, even yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not all that I should be, but I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. I hope all of you who are mature Christians will see eye to eye with me on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you if you fully obey the truth you have. If you fully obey the truth you have. Dear brothers, pattern your lives after mine and notice who else lives up to my example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again now with tears in my eyes, there are many who walk along the Christian road who are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet, but I am learning principles. I am practicing principles. I am doing the things that God says in His Word and the things that the Spirit of God has taught me that I might achieve that which I ought to be. And when we have convictions in our heart, we will stand out from the rest of the crowd because many people go by preference and convenience. And Paul the Apostle says, we are to stand and stand against all the things of the enemy and all the things of the flesh and to believe that we should seek God and set our goals according to His priorities. Now again, a purpose. We're supposed to purpose in our heart to seek God. And I said, that's a free choice from the heart. I can't make you do it. No one else can make you do it. You and I have to choose to follow after the Lord. In the Old Testament, God said to the, uh, Moses said to the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you'll serve. He didn't go over and drag some over the line. He said, if you're going to serve the Lord, step over here. If you're going to serve the enemy, the other gods, stand over there. And every one of them had the right and the freedom to choose. And when it was all over with, the, those that didn't make that choice were judged. God does not make that choice for you and me. You and I must purpose in our heart as a free act of our own hearts to do what God have us to do. Remember when the twelve spies went out? It said of Joshua and Caleb, they had a different spirit within them. Why? They decided to follow God, to obey, do it God's way. And consequently, the others thought they were grasshoppers in the sight of the giants. And these two said, if God told us we could have it, we'll make them grasshoppers in our sight. We'll go and take the land. And when the people of Israel didn't listen, the other ten spies were killed by a plague. God killed them because of their disobedience to God's word. What was the difference? These other two made a choice. They purposed in their heart to, to, to believe what God had said to them already. Now, uh, your choice, your purpose to make a decision 
is based upon your understanding, in, uh, based upon understanding your standing before the Lord. Now, if you have a distorted view of what you are and who you are in Jesus Christ, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to make the kind of decision you need to make to be profitable in God's kingdom. If you think you're useless, you think you're worthless, you think there's nothing you can do that's right, you think that you're a total failure, then you probably are going to be. But you see, that isn't what God's Word says you are. And so you have to purpose in your heart, I will not receive those thoughts, I will not receive those ideas and those suggestions